Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. April 30th, 2020, episode 174, a decade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. I'm Kevin England. I have a little bounce in my step today. It's 9.30 at night. Just listened to Juliana Wrangle talk about queen... I thought it was going to be about queen rearing, queen management, queen stuff on the Beekeeping at Home series. We did a little tag team with that. Bob Kloss was listening in with me uh, on Discord. And we were doing Mystery Science Theater commentary over top of the conversation that was going on. Finished that, and another beekeeper, hey Bert, uh, jumped on and we chatted a little bit. And it's 9.30 at night. I should be heading up the wooden hill to go to bed, but today is a special day. I didn't release this Sunday because I wanted to wait till today. I'm sorry, I waited all along, but I worked all day today. And now it's the first free period that I have to record decade. Why am I calling it that? Because 10 years today, I released the first episode. And as I sit down here now and reflect on that, and the show's going to have a little of that in it, uh, it's an interesting milestone to achieve. There was a one or two periods uh, over those 10 years where I thought, well, I don't know if I have any more to say, but here I am, still doing it. So, you got the gist of the show. Let me just tell you that I have a short little segment with Sharon. Had a little chat with her about the show this morning, just reflecting, reminiscing. Then I'm going to talk about some impressions that occurred over the years. And I'm going to finish it with a topic that's similar to a check-in, but it's going to be towards the end, and it's timely, and the title of it is Dare to Suck. And I will explain that as we get through it. So with no further introduction, hey, let's go ahead and go to the local hive report. Local Hive Report, wow, mm, lots going on. I went through all of the hives this weekend, and I'll just give a quick rundown. Starting with pad number eight, the polystyrene hive, it looks great. Uh, this is a hive that was made from the walkaway split. It received eight frames from that eight frame hive coming out of winter, and it's pretty much built much of the box. Is it spectacular? No, but it's pretty strong. And given that next week we're finally going to get reasonable weather for bees to go every single day and the forage is in full bloom, that hive's going to go crazy. So I wrote in my notes after doing my inspection that I am going to give it more boxes. <laughs> it needs more space for the bees to grow. I've exchanged about a third of its comb for new and I'm going to give it a new deep box, put the queen in the bottom and start to execute the Bailey Shook. Because I have so much to talk about in this episode, I'll save that for another day when I actually do it. Coming back down the row, you get to the Lane's Nuke. I went out to my apiary the other day to do the inspections and saw a hive laying on the ground. No, it was a colony. 
I don't know where this swarm came from. It didn't come out of one of my hives because as I look at every single one of my hives, they're chock full. When you have a hive that swarms, maybe this is misinformation from me, but likely not. You know, when you go in that hive later, you can see the signs that it was building to swarm and there's a lack of bees and there's a rebuild period that occurs after a hive swarms. I didn't see evidence of that in any of my hives. All of my hives are 100% full throttle, full of bees, no queen cells except for the one that I put queen cells in, and I don't know where the swarm came from. Now, I'm kidding myself. It was sitting 10 feet away from all of my hives in the grass, so it's probably one of mine's. But darn, that means one of my hives was super amazing, spectacular, and I don't know why that would happen because I went through all my hives the week before and I knew what they were. And I didn't see any reasonable degradation in the population of any of my hives, looking back at my notes. So anyway, where this swarm came from, it doesn't matter. I stuck it in my lion's nuke. That same day, another colony moved in to my swarm box. So two swarms, one day. And a third swarm call that I got, we went out there to the residence, and unfortunately by the time we got there, they moved on. So swarm season, April 15th, like we always say, that's the beginning. It's on. And my thought is every day that we get warm days in the next couple of weeks, these colonies who've been sequestered because of the cool, cold, rainy weather that we've had off and on through the all of March and April, they're going to explode in the trees this year. Good year for swarms. The swarm that I captured in the swarm box, four years in a row. Now, is there anything magic about that swarm box? No, unless you recount the fact that it's sitting next to my garage in the same place. I have my solar wax melter and all the old wax that I'm going to melt sitting off the corner of my garage by some equipment. And the bees come and inspect it all the time. And every year about this time, actually it's a little early this year, the bees move in. So I took that colony that moved in, that swarm, and I carried the swarm box out the other day to a beekeeper friend of mine who traded me a lion's hive for the swarm. So I'm excited that I now have a full-size lion's. And I'm going to take the swarm that I put in the lion's and transfer it into the big box. You following all that? That's just a lot of math going on here. So the Lane's Hive, which was sitting empty on pad 7, now has a colony in it and soon will be replaced with a full-size Lane's. And I'm excited to get that. It's early. It's early in the season. A lot of forage to go. So I think I could build that full box out by the time the dearth comes. Going down the row, there was an 8-frame Hive this hive was the one that we made the split from out of the cedar hive and it had queen cells. I saw no evidence of a new queen. I saw evidence that all the queen cells hatched, emerged. I saw flaps. I saw chewed off bottoms, but no queen. Lots of drones in that hive. No obvious, uh, no brood being made. It could literally have been on that warm day the queen was out being mated and she didn't go back yet so I closed the hive up and I shut it down 
and this weekend I'll go take a look. It has a reasonable population, but no evidence of an operational queen. It could be that the queen went out to get mated and never made it back. That's possible. But I know for a fact, because I inspected every single frame, both sides, all the way through, that there was no queen in that colony in looking at it. No virgins, no anything, unless I missed her. The next hive is the cedar hive. Looks great. Um, nothing to say about that. I opened it up. I know how good it looked. It was a little bit cool. I didn't want to go through it any further. All I did with it, because it was loaded with bees, is give it a second box. So this was the second half of the eight frame. It was uh, populated from wall to wall. In the bottom box, it was a single deep with bees. So I put a new box on top with nothing but foundation in it and put the lid on and closed it. The next hive lit me up. The gateway hive. There's something about that queen in there. She is not putting out good stuff. As soon as I walked over to that hive, I started getting buzzed. As soon as I stood in front of it to smoke it, I was getting accosted. And when I took the roof off, it was game on. I don't know, you know, there was a, a time a year and two years ago where I had some nasty hives in the colony. These must be descendants of that because this hive just... As soon as I opened it up, they were all over me. Mm, I want to say it was quarter after five at night. It was 66 degrees. The sun was, you know, off in the side. Sunset's about seven something. Still reasonable enough time. Now, it wasn't full sun, middle of the day. All the foragers were back. Foragers tend to be a little jaded, probably. But I just think that hive is, is hot and you can bet that when we raise queens this year we're gonna take care of that one I took the it was a double deep and a single medium I took the the deep and the single medium and set them on the side and started to go through the bottom box by the time I got to about frame seven I had had enough <laughs> I'd had enough and the box is completely loaded so it was evident to me that the bottom box bees from one end to the other the top deep bees from one end to the other and the medium was full of bees that hive actually needs more boxes to go on top for honey supers it could be a good honey producer so I put it back together with a note to add boxes to it and move down the row last hive on the stack was the hive that came from yard two that I had moved down with Bob Kloss in the last episode if you listen I went through that hive last time and found a little runty queen assuming she was a virgin and about to go out and get mated now I know it's been raining and it's been crappy but there were days in there where that queen could have went out and got mated well what did I find that same little tiny runty queen and about half the bees the attrition of older bees that this hive had still coming out of winter with a queen that's not laying means this hive is just dwindling to nothing. I was ready to close it up and try and figure it out for another day when I got Atlanta Brave and decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to solve this problem. I took the frame that had the runty queen, which is never going to do anything, and I pulled it out and I set it aside in another box. I walked down the road to the gateway hive 
and I took my lumps and I split that hive in half and I took the bottom box off of that hive and I walked it over and I set it on top of the runty. You know what they always say to do with a runty hive is combine it with a strong hive? Well, I did a walkaway split. I don't know where the queen is, but the, the top deep that was on that box originally, meaning the gateway hive, I put that on the bottom board. I took another box full of foundation and I put that on top of that deep and then I put the honey super back on. Late at night, aggravated bees stinging me. I want you to stop and think about what I just did. I took a box of bees and put it on a bottom board. I put an empty box and then I put a box of bees on top. Is that a good idea? As I walked back that night thinking about what a dumb move that was. The next warm day what I'm going to do is go back out and switch the two deeps. I'll put the empty one on the bottom and put the bees together. I think they'll be okay for a couple days. If I go back in that box and I see the middle box they're building out comb and doing whatever, maybe I just leave it because I know we're going to get a warm stretch. But that was a dumb move from this beekeeper. So I'll, I'll rectify that. On the other hive, the one that is a dink, it's now a dink on a bottom board with a gateway box on top full of bees. One of them has a queen, one of them will have to make a queen. Or, uh, in discussing with Bob Kloss, he's come into a plethora of queens here and there and he's been telling me if I need a queen, um, he's got a couple. So, who knows? The the spring is full sprung, and I believe that there's tons of options to solve whatever problems come. That's the good part of this time of year. So local hive report. Yeah, a lot of things moving and shaking. As I record this on a Thursday night, it is pouring outside. Heavy winds, big storm rolling through. It's supposed to rain through till midday tomorrow. With this COVID thing going on, I'm not going on vacation. We were already supposed to go down to Florida for spring break and didn't go. I have vacation days to burn. So I think in the next days when it's warm, I'm going to take a couple days and I'm going to go through and uh, do some beekeeping. What a surprise it is to be home on warm, nice days in the spring and stay proactive. So I'm excited about this year's prospects of maintaining the bees. I'm also going to say this again. There were 500 packages that didn't come up into this area this year. So I wonder if this year will be an interesting swing. And I've prepped boxes in the garage for anticipation of even more swarms. And I have a lot of different plans, but not enough time to talk about it here tonight. So, yeah, local hive report. I'm already having fun, can you tell? Check. Let's go to topic number one. Topic number one, I call this one, Sweetie Petey Punk of Pie. I'm going to play a recording that I made this morning. Whenever you reach a milestone, you start to think about the people that impact your life. And I can't think of a better person to open the episode with than my lovely wife, who has supported me since March 15th, 1989. You learned about that last episode, I think, or a few episodes ago. But since we said I do in September of 1991, and I can't think of a better person to go through life with, and I thought it would be 
a great way to start the episode by just letting you listen to us chat about the podcast in particular over the last 10 years. Hey. Good you morning. Know what today is? What's today, honey? I know you know the answer to this already. It's April 30th. It's uh, 10 years been doing the podcast. We're on our morning walk and I thought I'd get a chance to chat and, and discuss this with you. So what do you think? I It went pretty quick, I must say. Yeah, me too. I, I think about all the stuff we've done and I wanted to have you on this show and just uh, reflect a few minutes, nothing big. So 10 years, uh, do you remember uh, the day I told you I was going to start recording a podcast? Vaguely, yes. I was doing TV broadcasting on the internet, which is a big craze right now, seeing it on everywhere, virtual TV racing. Oh, for your racing, yes. And I was listening to Craig, Southern Maryland Beekeeper podcast, and he didn't put out any issues. He basically folded, and I was mad because there was no beekeeping stuff to listen to. So what did I say? going to do your own. I'm going to do my own. I'm going to do my own. I had no idea what I was doing. And off you went. Did your own. Ten years. Well, here we are. It's, it's a been long a fun time. journey. Oh, look at a fox running in the field there. You see it? Up, oh, turn around to look at us. Look, right along the edge over there. See it? I see him. Oh, he's pretty. Oh, yeah. Is that the same one we always see? It's a little lighter in color. Probably not. Darted off. Well, there's a little surprise for you. We saw a fox. We saw chipmunks. Yeah. Of course, the birds are, birds are amazing. We saw our neighbor beekeeper jogger running yeah. down the road. <laughs> I think about uh, coming up the stairs and telling you in the kitchen, hey, I'm going to do a podcast. And at that time... Podcasts were not known. I mean, they were out there. There were a lot of them, but maybe This American Life was popular to some people who listened, but most people didn't know what it was. Now, today, they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I knew. Now there's 25 now beekeeping podcasts. Yes. Which is cool. It gives us something to listen to. I don't have to listen to myself. <laughs> some of them I've gotten started, or at least... I know a lot of people call me and ask me about different things, and I give them advice. The second oldest one that I can think of is the one out of New Zealand, Kiwi Mana, and I remember they called me in the beginning. So it's cool that there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. So <laughs> I have to say thank you because over these 10 years, you've indulged me with a lot of different things. Love you. Different journeys we've went on. <laughs> what, what sticks in your mind about a place we went to because of doing something for the podcast? Anything? Well, I don't think it matters where we go. Maybe I can interview that this person or that person. Doesn't matter where we go. Yeah. Even on vacation. Well, to England, to Seattle, wherever we go. Maybe I can interview somebody. <laughs> well, and I have to say thanks because you end up being the camera crew, the sound. We do. We, and we end up a day. We plan a day for the podcast. Yeah. Usually in the middle of the vacation, 
somewhere along the way, we plan a meeting. <laughs> On the other side of that, how many crazy things have I purchased? And you've been tolerant to spend our money. But I always said to you, you know, I was going to buy a race car. Oh, no, no race cars. And I said, instead of buying a race car, I'll do the podcast and spend money that Great way. Great idea. That was our bargain. <laughs> yes. All these things that I remember as we talk. Although, you stick the, the pit crew a, for your brother and your There nephews. was a race car posted for a pretty good price, and I was looking at oh, it. Oh, no. I was thinking about it. Oh, no. So does this mean I could keep going with the podcast yeah, another absolutely. 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> so lately, you seem to be helping me a little more with the bees. I like that. Yeah. Especially since we're home in this COVID thing going on. Yeah, this quarantine, social distancing, crazy world we're living in right now. You spent time putting foundation in for me. That's fine. Which I put on the bees yesterday. Thank you. Yep. So I like having somebody help me with my beekeeping stuff and support me. And I know it's been a pain with all the honeydew list things you have and what have I been doing? Bees. Bees podcast. So, do you hear that? We're That's looking for that woodpecker. Right? Downy or what kind? I don't know. I can't see it. It was like right over our head. They're everywhere. They're noisy this morning. Yeah. I think they're nesting in that dead limb. They know the rain is coming too. It's going to pour today. All yeah. right. Well, listen, to, you know, hey, be quiet over there. <laughs> I, I want one more thing to, to remember. Uh, recipes. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> The mead making video was the best of all time when you and I made the mead. Well, made the mead <laughs> that was the it. most fun, that's for sure. We really that's... weren't even drinking it and we were just all Goofy silly giggly. and giddy and yeah. having a good time. I'll have to post a link to that for people who don't know what that's about. Just watch the last part of it. <laughs> yeah, the Unless goofs you want to learn or what did you what you call it? The goofs or something? Yeah. The B roll something. B-roll, right, the <laughs> bloopers. Yeah. And the other thing I, I really enjoy is, especially this time of year, the spring, talking about all the flowers emerging. Yeah. Especially the wildflowers. It's just amazing. Um, and learning what they are, teaching you what they are. <laughs> I'm so bad at learning them. You'll you told get me them. yesterday to have patience. You've been doing this since you were a kid. You'll get them. I've been doing it forever. There's a bluebird right there. It's beautiful. Trout lily. Right there, pear. I see him. Trout lily. Trout lily. Excellent. And They're spring flower, beauty. Right? Spring beauty. We have little white spring beauty yep, all right over here. the yard. And, and so whether the bees go to them or not, I don't know the answer to that. Kevin knows more about that. Yeah, that's what we've been doing. Like so. this morning, I was looking up the entire field in front of us is yellow rocket, which is like a kind of mustard. And I saw on Mud Songs a video of bees going to that, which I've never seen my bees work it. So saying to you, we got to go out through the year and see the plant at different stages and see if if it's not here today, 
tomorrow might be the day where the yes. plant is ready for it. It seems like every day we're working on a new plant. It seems that way lately. Yesterday was garlic, mustard, yeah. weed, wildflower. It is right? fun in the spring to, to look at all this and see what's what. But the bees don't fly into our yard. They always fly away because they fly to yeah, the there's sun. there's some on the dandelions. and Yeah. Of course, we let all that stuff grow. I even weeded the hosta garden and left the dandelions in there on purpose because they're flowering. Cool. I thought that looked really neat. That's, that's a sign of a beekeeper where you use it. Yeah. That's right. They don't go on azalea, right? You're asking the wrong person. Yeah. I'm not sure. That one's beautiful, the azalea. Right here, yeah. Well, thank you for, for joining in in this little recollection. Congratulations on your 10 years. Yeah, thanks. Same to you, baby. You put up with it, so. I love that it's become your passion. So there you heard it. She's, uh, most supportive. I get to keep doing the podcast, but no race car. That's a, a reasonable trade-off, I guess. I'll have to tell her, though, that one day when Keith or Corey or whoever offers me a ride to go out and take the car for some hot laps and practice, if I could fit in the suit and get the helmet on, I'm going. <laughs> so, yeah. To Sharon, thank you. Love you. And really, uh, Appreciate your support in the efforts. Topic number two, I'm going to call this one random reminiscing. You know, it's funny, in the weeks and months leading up to this, I had envisioned going back through all the podcasts and maybe pulling some segments and doing whatever. And then I realized I don't have a podcast production crew. I'm the chief cook and bottle washer. So the best thing that I could do is just go back and look at some of the past episodes, some things that I did, and call out memories and, and different things. And I don't want to belabor the point, uh, but I'm going to go through some some time on this just to, you know, it, it deserves its just due. So in no particular order, I think about segments that stand out, and I don't know why, what was special about them, some of them were really good. Some of them were ones that I remember putting my guts into to try and produce. And others just, you know, I'm going to say this about recording this podcast. There's days when you're on. You're just on. You have that natural flow and your brain is fully engaged and you're good to go. And then there's other days where you sludge through or you're sick or you just can't cohesively put a sentence together or you're tired. A lot of days I did tired. But I think back to episode 11, Hive Temperatures, uh, the pivotal Marianne Fraser talk that I put out for an episode, thinking about segments that stand out to me. I loved Dr. Peter Thiel and his uh, experiment to grind up small hive beetles as a repellent. Episode 37, this is cool. Um... I remember not too long ago interviewing Landy Simone in the parking lot of a New Jersey State meeting. And some of the fun times, talking about Bob Kloss and I going up to Albany and meeting 
this was funny. I'm going to tell this story. We went into the meeting. We went to see... Uh, if I have this story right, I hope I tell it with true fidelity. We went up to see Randy Oliver because he was going to come down and speak for us in New Jersey. This is when we first got to encounter Randy Oliver. So that was a big deal. When we got there, Michael Palmer was there. And all the way up, we talked and Bob. Bob's a Palmer fanboy and Michael this and Michael that. We talked a lot about Michael Palmer. And then we walked in the meeting and Michael Palmer was standing right there. And Bob, Bob was like starstruck. It was funny. <laughs> then they had a fire alarm and we ended up going outside standing on the sidewalk and we struck up a conversation with Michael Palmer I think that was the moment if you could have zapped Bob with lightning he would have been happy with his life because it ended that way <laughs> you know it's just these funny little things that you remember and that was years years and years ago um, you know the different segments that stand out is talking about hive management and approaches. I don't want to say fads. I want to say trends. Uh, Tim. Tim Ives. Tower Ives. Tower Hives Ives. <laughs> uh, discussed in episode 41. The Let Him Be broadcast with Jason Bruns, episode 49. Mm, this new emerging single brood box is the way to go from Tom Seeley. To run full circle and all the other ones in between i think about different things that we've talked about in the show and how times have changed in the beginning there was a lot of uh, ccd in the ccd council there was the time frame when we talked about banning neonics in europe and whether that would have an impact there's been a lot of ground that we've covered over the show and i think one of the better parts of that for me is thinking that all of that in time capsule got got recorded and i have people who come to me and tell me about stuff that i don't even remember i recorded I, every once in a while i go back and listen to a show if i'm bored working out in the workshop i just go back and it's like not i've never heard it before i'll put on episode 43 and have no idea what i'm going to talk about not look at the show notes and it's enjoyable it's a lot of fun for me um there's encounters Encounters with people who have taken in the show over the years. I think one of my fondest memories is going to a beekeeping meeting, sitting in an uh, auditorium waiting for a show to start, someone to talk, and a guy taps me on the shoulder and asks me if I am Kevin England. Of course I am. He said, I can't believe you're here. He said, we just drove like eight hours. I think they came from Michigan to New Jersey or something. And he said, we listened to your show all the way here. <laughs> that is, that's a crazy thing. If you're one of the listeners and you're still here with me, thanks. That was fun, that, that moment. That was a funny moment. Uh, you know, I've talked about the, the guy who bought us a drink when he recognized the voice. And I get this all the time. Hey, aren't you Kevin England? Which is kind of awkward. It's neat, it's fun, it's weird. Um, someone, this is the most extreme story that I had one time about encounters. Someone called me a wife and a family of a beekeeper, and I don't know if they still listen, and they talk about flying me out to the Midwest for somebody's birthday. 
because they were my biggest fan and be, I had some sort of conflict and I couldn't go but they were serious they were gonna fly me out to like Indiana or something and it's on one of the shows somewhere I don't remember the details and I ended up recording a message and saying hello to him and they would talk about he would play the podcast out to the family and the whole family knew who I was and at some point I think I talked to him directly and you know that's just kind of fun goofy stuff that comes with the territory I guess of doing a show I'm wondering if I talk to Paul Therott or Ira Glass or some of these people if they have these same kind of things that happen to them I think back about now talking through beekeeping my experience of learning deliberating suffering experimenting the experiment I'm not gonna feed I don't recommend you do that but I needed to know if you didn't feed why couldn't they get it out of nature well the answer is they're gonna starve so don't do that I learned the lesson but I'm the kind of person that needs to test it and see the empirical real-world evidence and then I'll know and I'll be able to talk about it so I will tell you if you have a dearth in your area your bees aren't gonna suck it up <laughs> they're going to die so feed them yeah uh, on the other side mass feeding I know some that do it really well and I know that I failed miserably at it uh, Landy Simone talks about this and she has a great video Parks Tally did it and she also talks about this in EAS talks and presentations are probably out on the web if you search for her uh, L-A-N-D-I Landy Simone a master beekeeper extraordinaire from New Jersey I tried before I knew Landy's method of feeding and I had the feeders too close to the hive and I fed everything in the neighborhood wasps hornets other bees robbing yellow jackets and then they all came and decimated my hives so yeah I learned the hard way so experiments not so good a lot sometimes but I've also had some good ex you know experience with different things um, one experiment I did was using a saw to cut up square frames to put in a top bar hive and that was pretty successful over the years I've tackled so many different teaching moments where I've encountered people who've told me their struggles and then tried to find a way to either I knew how to do it or educate on how to do it the simplest things how to light a smoker how to do a split and along the way that has both helped you the listeners and helped me to be a better teacher and understand these techniques and I think now about something like the De Marie I surprised myself the other day and let me tell you this master beekeeper or not there's certain things you sometimes you just gotta look up because you don't commit them to memory they're way too complicated but I can if somebody asks me cold describe how to do a day marie and I did it the other day on the fly in front of an audience of about 45 people and I think that's kinda cool and it's really a credit to the podcast because that's where I learned to have to explain it if I think about the things that I've learned along the way just by serendipity things that I went to find out about and people taught me Tim Schuler on how honey judging works at some point I did a deep dive into the sting pain index I learned from Charlie Ilsley and from personal practice how to render wax I've come to the conclusion through experience 
that mesh suits, the three-ply ones, are great. I bought one of the first ones, I think, from Ultra Breeze when it came to the U.S. because I thought it looked great. And lo and behold, they're now in every beekeeping catalog and everybody sells them. I don't know if I was one of the first, but I definitely was one of the first to fall in love with the Easy Pry Hive Tool. Still use it to this day. I have three or four of them in my kit. If I have to reach for a hive tool, that's what I use. Knew nothing about a Ware. Did all kinds of research. I remember meeting Chris Cole. He is Sweet Valley Hives out of Pennsylvania. I saw him at a Philadelphia beekeeper conference. He was selling Ware hives and I shot some video because I wanted to learn more about what he was saying. And at some point he told me after I got to know him that he thought I was a spy trying to, <laughs> to copy his design. But when I told him what I was up to, that I was learning it for the podcast and that I wanted to have one, we ended up, um, you know, having conversations and working together. And I appreciate what Chris did for me, teaching me how to use. And I love my Wari Hive. Really enjoy that. I don't know what prompted me to buy a polystyrene hive, but one of the things I learned is it's by far my favorite hive. Uh, Kevin moment. I was chatting with Bob Kloss tonight while we were watching that webinar. And I mentioned in the new Lyson hives that came out. I saw them in the 2020 beekeeping catalogs and American Bee Culture. It looks like they changed their design. They've upgraded it. And it looks, and forgive me, Lyson, for saying this, but it's my take on it. Suspiciously like my bee box design. It has some of the features. The bottom board looks pretty similar. The, the new design of the frame rests and other things in the box. And it actually almost looks like an upgrade. And I'm curious that if I could buy one and see how it compares. I think if I started today in beekeeping and I had the choice of buying my equipment all new, I would buy polystyrene hives and run them. That's how much I really like that hive. And if Lyson has made a better one, then that's all the better. So one thing I would say to you is, uh, just a personal opinion, if you ever have the chance, try one. I think you'll really like it. I talked about using the Daymarie, and there are other techniques that I've come through along the way. I had to explain, use, try, and then you know, be able to articulate them. The use of an emery shim. How to do checkerboarding from Walt Wright. And I got to talk to Walt Wright. And he's no longer with us, but I appreciate that Charlie Ilsley hooked us up. And that's a memory I'll never forget. Uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, someday my grandkids probably won't care, but <laughs> you know that old adage. Uh, I, I had that experience, and I'll, I'll take it with me. Um, you know, making creamed honey, learning the queen colors. That was a tough one. Will you raise good bees? White, yellow, red, green, blue. It kind of reminds me, Kevin, moment of please do not throw sausage pizza away. That is the model for physical data network transport session presentation 
application. That's a technical stack that I learned back in computer school and it still stays with me. So if you ever want to learn something, will you raise good bees? Put something like that to it and then it will be able to be your study aid. In production of the show come a long way from recording on my phone to recording with audacity to moving to the setup I have now with a professional microphone a Tascam sound producing machine that it runs through into the Cubase DAW digital access workstation and trying to figure out still struggling to this day sound control and all that but the things I've learned technically both camera production for videos and other things the show has both been informative to create and produce and I'm amazed at how many times that benefits me in life so if you ever really want to drive yourself nuts get into podcasting because there's so much on the technical side you have to learn um, good thing I'm a web and mobile guy because I don't know if I could have done all of it the production part and the web stuff on the side but I think back to the show production in the beginning when I had the music in production uh, in betweens that was neat I went and listened to an episode not too long ago about that and I heard the music sound and I said boy that's a pretty good song I chose pretty well through some of those I somewhat wish I could bring those back but it was kind of goofy it was um, trying to emulate the NPR style of musical interludes and then I changed to the <laughs> and now I just switch topics even the fact that coming to uh, design of the show with topics and roundtables and all of that it's been a journey I think about that one theme that has been around is trying to design a hive I still have a design in the back of my mind the cartridge hive and all the different hive form factors that I've covered over the years. The hexagon hive in episode 146. Of course the explosion of the flow hive and horizontal hives and other things. It's been fun to because of having that little tweak of an interest of designing a hive someday to see people's creations out the years. I'm going to turn to the listeners and that the I kind of feel bad but also feel good about this approach I, I can't mention specific names I will say if you're listening to this and you've been with the program a long time thank you I have the best listeners without a doubt and if I start mentioning certain names I'll probably slight some others and I don't want to do that you guys, you make me laugh, you make me proud, you support me, you correct me, you promote me. You listen to my stupid jokes and my goofy nature. And you keep listening, which is the greatest honor you could give me. As I hear in other places, the fact that people choose to listen to this show and keep coming back, it's the greatest honor. And one of my favorite things is to meet the people who say they listen to me and tell me the show has had an influence on them or impacted the way they do things and I don't always meet people who agree with me but I do meet people who appreciate the effort and for that I'm thankful I really do 
I've even had people say they consider me a mentor. I don't know how I feel about that, but I do appreciate that sentiment. With that idea, there's a lot of pressure that I strive to make ensure that I don't let anyone down on that. So you have my continued commitment to try and be honest, tell you what I know, tell you what I think I know, tell you what I'm thinking about but I'm not sure about, and tell you what I don't have a clue about. I'm usually pretty straightforward with that. You know, to finish this up, reflections, some of the things I think about is taking the time to research the topics for presentations, meaning what I do outside of the show, and then presenting it in an organized fashion. The way to communicate, emphasize, it's helped me understand why and how things are the way they are. And when you're presenting and teaching, it's given me the practice and the structure to present a topic, how to break it down, how to understand if the audience is getting it, things like that. It's immeasurable doing this show to practice all the time. It's almost like, you know, writing. If you wrote all the time, you'd be a better novelist, I think, and producing the show has helped me be a better educator. I have talked on many of the key things in beekeeping throughout the years, biology, management practices, and in time I've made it mine. I've learned a way to communicate it. And like I said before, saying something like the De Marie method has become second nature and I just appreciate the, the ability to do that. The reflection on the gadget garage. I don't talk too much about this, but I am still every bit as much a gadget geek. I just bought a hive tool not too long ago. It's the craziest looking thing. I haven't shown it to Bob yet. I just found it the other day when I was cleaning out uh, some equipment in my basement. But I have this huge collection of hive tools, which is just fun to do. But Bob and I had a run there where we did a lot of different gadget stuff. And actually, there was another gadget, I can't think of it, that I came across last week. But the passion is still there to find all these neat things. And I had a lot of time and a lot of fun presenting those things out there. I reflect back on my beekeeping over the years. And I've said this before, I think sometimes my beekeeping is mediocre. That's a good word to describe it. I think I have what it takes to be a good beekeeper, but the lack of discipline to my environment to do well. Uh, you know, I've, I've communicated my disadvantage to location. You know what, I'm putting that beside. I'm, I'm going to try and focus on management and stop focus on location and do my best to have good healthy bees. Especially this year, I've been on, you know, this is why I cleaned all my comb out and all that stuff. Um, I think some of what goes on is self-inflicted. I know time has been my biggest enemy. I've recounted no more how many times on the show that I just didn't have time to do something. You know, it's funny in retrospect, this COVID year is going to be interesting because, as I've said, I'm home. So I can log off at five six o'clock whenever i'm done like tonight and if it's still sunny out till seven i can go outside which is nice i don't have to drive home and do whatever i have had a hand somewhat in consulting with people who want to start a podcast the door is always open 
and I bet I've had at least a half dozen conversations. And I have to go back to Craig, I don't know his last name, SOMD was the podcast, Southern Maryland. He's the guy I listened to in the beginning, and then he stopped producing. But at some point, I think I did exchange with him and ask him how to do a show. And whenever anybody has called me, I remember the, the favor that Craig paid me by giving me some insights and tolerating my questions. And I try to help whoever. In fact, I think I had two increase, or maybe three so far this year, of people that have started shows. And some of those folks, I'm happy to listen to their shows. So, you know, if you ever decide you want to jump in, give me a call. I'm happy to get you started. I learned in reflection that neonics are not the problem. That's a controversial statement, but I just never saw anybody come back and say, after all the research, that neonics were the problem. Do I think they are a problem? Of course. They have their moments. I think CCD was a great label, but also that has dissolved and gone away. And what's funny is I remember someone coming back from one of the chemical companies and saying the real problem is Varela, and darn if they weren't actually right, that one of the bigger problems was Varela. You know, it's funny as I'm up on highs and lows, positives and funny things and negative stuff and whatever. One of the funniest things, as an aside, is Bob Kloss teasing me incessantly about the length of my 50-minute Hive Tool segment. <laughs> I'm trying to think what the episode was. But he's like, I could not believe you went on and on and on about Hive Tools. I, I, you know, the funny thing was, is I was wounded. Because <laughs> I was so proud that I could figure out such an in-depth I thought I really did something cool, and and I asked Bob, thinking he was going to say it was good, and he teased me. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. I'm still proud of it, Bob, <laughs> I have to say. Seeing Sam Ramsey present the topic about mites feed on hemolymph, February 2012 at the beekeeping meeting in New Jersey. I filmed that, recorded it. And then all of a sudden he became a rock star and superstar over that. And if I have this right, I don't want to make it up, but I think I have it right because I've heard him tell of it is it was the first time that I think he disclosed it in public was at a New Jersey meeting. I've heard him say that, and I'm pretty sure it was that session. And it was kind of cool to be there for that moment. You know, there are certain times when you hear different things that change the way you think about keeping bees, and that was one of them, and we were there on the front line. So that's, that's kind of a neat memory for me. Occasionally you have to pitch yourself that you get invited to do certain things. I can recount off the top of my head two such occurrences. One of them was we pulled a swarm out of the church in Lambertville, New Jersey. Not a swarm. Um... A cutout and it was on a scaffold with no fence wall around us eight frames up or what 40 feet the top of the pier it was way up there even I was like hmm this is pretty high <laughs> Bob and I cut that thing out and it went really well we did it 
we didn't know what we were doing, I have to say. And I would love to get a chance to replay that one and do it over. I would do it differently. But just the fact that we had the experience was, it was cool. And then uh, another one that comes to mind is working bees with Eric Cannon of Bee Haven. He's a beekeeper friend that went to Africa with us and has become a good friend of ours. We went into New York City up on the Marriott overlooking Central Park top floor, moved the bees down to the 35th floor. We went and worked bees on, I think it's Pascock Valley Hospital and a couple other things. And that was just a day. I have my son with me, which was one of the most important things because it, it was cool that they got that experience. And um, it, it's just one of those things that uh, you'll never forget. And who has the chance to do that? It was an amazing day. This, this podcast has derived some benefits for me from that type of thing. Um, just, just enjoy that. Uh, singing on the shows. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you think of my singing voice. Every once in a while I break out in song. It's my musical Tourette's. I bring movie and pop culture. I just did the Ralphie thing not too long ago. I think that's fun. I, you know, what I like is that I appreciate having a chance to cut up and let loose on the show. And I receive feedback that people kind of laugh at that. We did the thing with my brother Keith recently, the eat up oh, orc with, with uh, Bugs Bunny and a listener sent something back. Um, I thought you were gonna break out in something else and, he's, and he cited something that I just put a huge smile on my face. So I started laughing about it. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the fun part of the show. It's almost like the blooper of the side reels. Uh, you, you heard Sharon and I talk about the mead recipe thing. I think, I think we mentioned that in our little talk. That was really funny. Look, I can go on and on. Um, the Frame Game, one of my favorite presentations to come out of this show. And the, the last thing that I had in my notes here was Bob Kloss shot a video because I said to Bob, Bob, you know, when things happen at the house, just take out your phone and shoot a little video, will you please? You know, the first video he did to placate me was a capture of a swarm. If you go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash NWNJBA, and you look, the first video that Bob shot was of him capturing a swarm. It has 5.7 million views. <laughs> I have no idea what's so special about that video. The next best one has like a thousand something or 5,000 or whatever. Not 5.7 million. Ah, uh, it's so funny. I tease Bob about that all the time. Um, the, the last part of this is just the privilege of producing the show drives me as Sharon talked about, to go places and do things. It motivates me. I've seen Randy Oliver, Marianne Fraser, Jennifer Berry, Keith Delaplane. I've talked to Stan Wasatowski, Landy Simone, Tim Schuler. I've had sit-downs with Rich Morris and Nicole Medina and other honey queens. Sergio Mutella, good friend of the program, loved chatting with him. Pleasure of uh, seeing Deb Delaney 
Megan Milbrath, Sam Ramsey, Tom Seeley, Dewey Karen, the list goes on and on and on. There's one thing about the show is it it has driven me to go see all these people and bring the information back and I am so much richer for it. Last but not least, I'll come back to where I started, which is my wife Sharon is a saint. She's a wonderful, beautiful person, lets me do this. I can't tell you how many times I walk out of something we're doing and come downstairs and record the show in my little man cave and stuff like that. The things I say, hey, I'm going to buy something or hey, I'm going to record somebody or whatever. So if you guys have appreciation for the show, you send a note to Sharon through me, Kevin at BK Corner, and tell her how much uh, she has let me do that. And the absolute most favorite moments of producing the show is whenever I'm doing an interview and she comes sneaking in in the background. Especially if it's a video. She does that little slinky sneak in. If you've seen it, you know what I mean. And the funny thing is, and not, not a lot of people know it, is she gives me a lot of advice and guidance and and she's a smart cookie. She, she tells me different things about what I should do with my bees and management. You know, I have to talk to somebody and Sharon gets the brunt of all that. So you you might wonder if you ever get a chance to meet and talk with me. Think about Sharon who has to talk to me every day. She deserves a lot of credit for the show. All right. Hey, thank you for letting me reminisce. It's been 10 special years. I've enjoyed every moment of it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I don't know if I have another 10 years in me, but year number 11 starts tomorrow, and I'm just going to keep going. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm glad you indulge me, and uh, I appreciate if you've been along for the ride. There's some of you who have incredulously listened through every single show, and I've had people come and literally tell me they've listened through the show's three or four runs in a row, nonstop. Unbelievable. I think you people are crazy, but uh, thank you. Thank you for the support. If you have any um, thoughts, memories, suggestions, this, this opens something up for you and you want to share it with me, I would love to hear it. Kevin at bkcorner.org. If I get a lot of these and they're good, I would love for people to tell me what they thought was great about the show. And if I get any responses, uh, maybe I'll make an episode uh, topic out of it next go around. So Kevin at bkcorner.org if you want to share anything that uh, comes to mind for you. Last but not least, thanks for listening. Topic number three, it's a beekeeping show. Let's talk about something beekeeping. If you skipped all that, I'm not offended. That's what you're here for. So this is called Dare to Suck. I'm fixated lately on the NICO queen rearing system. And sometimes when I get stuck into something, I get wrapped around the axle and I find myself in a deep dive with no parachute. I admit there's times when I have a bit of egotism to me about something. You know, but to be clear, it's not a better than someone else moment. It's not about malice or one-upsmanship. It's better stated that I have found, as an offering is available out there, it's wanting. And I don't like it. And I get a notion to think that I can do it better, and I see an opportunity to improve upon it, 
and whatever is offered, I can contribute to that body of work. Maybe I help it out or I replace it. I don't care. The funny thing about this is my method's a little self-centered, but again, not in an egotistical way. I don't go through things trying to find ways to demonstrate how smart I am. I do it for my own benefit. But the approach to the task with an eye towards sharing it with others. If and when people can use what I come up with and appreciate it, all the better. There's one thing though, it has to hook me for me to be able to invest in that deep dive without a parachute. It's an important aspect of what I'm sharing with you right now in this moment. Because if I'm invested, there's little stopping me. And sometimes I don't know what it's going to offer. You know, something, whatever, offers up that little spark. But when I see the opportunity, it compels me to dive right in. And this Nico graphless queen rearing system is it. When it comes to using the Nico device, there's several good resources out there. Don't get me wrong. Case in point, I just finished the book on use of Nico by Grant Coolyard. Admittedly, I probably have a hundred hours looking around in nooks and crannies all over the web for scraps of information that I can coalesce into some form of a process that's going to work for me. Now, Grant did a good job, great job, at describing what worked for him. But as much as I want to absorb what he presented, I have to go further because I learned a different way. Again, I need to know why and I need to approach it from a specific viewpoint, which I'll get into in a moment. I came across this topic lately. This is a smidge of a Kevin moment. It came from a cooking show, which I love cooking shows. Highly recommend Chef by John Favreau and Roy Choi. There's a movie that John Favreau made. He starred in it called Chef. Should watch it if you're a foodie. In one of the segments from the TV show, which is out there on Netflix, he shared his personal connection with cooking. He stated that once he learned something and he made it his own, the rest of his journey for cooking became easier. His aha moment for John was the connection that he learned to learn. And once he found a way to learn things and make connections, it opened the door for him and he could learn and apply to other things that he was trying to attempt to master. Learn to learn. It's a profound thing, that description, because it describes so much that I identify with. As an example, I learned how to study for the master beekeeper test, and now I'm a great studier. I learned how to prepare a topic for this podcast, and now I can present a topic with a start, a middle, and a finish, and all of that stuff. So think about the things in your life that you have experienced and you can apply them to other things and you have learned to learn and now you could use that elsewhere. I designed a presentation on how to do research for EAS one year and it's a stellar example of a showcase on learning to learn in my mind 
And when he said that on his show, that presentation came to mind immediately for me. Now look, if it isn't evident, this learn-to-learn thing is a thinly veiled but great descriptor of my process. Managed mentoring. You've heard me talk about it if you listen to the show. Bailey Shook. I think of several recent examples where I'm doing the same thing that John described and it becomes one big work in process. I'm applying my past patterns of learning to develop mastery of these new things, managed mentoring, Bailey Shook, that I'm trying to figure out in my world. Mm, It's a process towards a goal and it often takes time. I tend to work on things for a long while. Sometimes you grow tired or you're saturated at things and you put them to the side for a while. But all the while, your little inner voice is thinking about better ways to keep approaching that and doing whatever. And then sooner or later, you get that spark and it comes back in and you make more progress on it. And at some point, you reach your goal. So if you find yourself frustrated, just keep staying with it. There's things that I've been working on for a long time. Those two things, managed mentoring, started many, many years ago, for example. I did this quite a bit with studying for my master beekeeper test, and I went down a large number of rabbit holes. I did. Ooh, Kevin moment. Holy cow, that brings back the memory of learning about the valve fold in a queen bee and simply needing, yearning, driving to understand how that anatomical feature works in a bee. All I'm going to say is there were dark days researching that. (laughs) Do you know how a valve fold impacts the way that the spermatheca releases material down to mate with the egg? It's a fascinating topic. End of Kevin moment. For a while, Master Beekeeper had to be my focus. It consumed me. It put boundaries around what I had to work on and allow myself to think about. I think in the middle of it, I lamented on that it was constraining me from doing other things. This is what I was talking about back then. Now that I'm past it, I can move on and use my energy to study the things I want to study. And I would call this phase of my beekeeping career, if I could use the word to to give a connotation to it, my queen rearing development years. I just finished Larry Connor's book on queen rearing, which was just eh for me. That's mean. I don't mean it that way. What I mean is, don't get me wrong, it's a really good book, comprehensive. But I will be mean in a minute and say I don't particularly like Larry's writing style. I recognize his style because he helped Dewey Karen write his book, and I could see the parts in Dewey's book that Larry might have had something to do with. But what I would say to you is, If you're new and you want to learn queen rearing, it's a good read. But personally, I'm in a rabbit hole about queen rearing, different things. I've learned so much about it for master beekeeping. There's certain things I'm looking for, and I'm down looking for nooks and crannies, and it didn't show up for me. I'll give you an example. What was I looking for? Why do things that are so commonplace in queen rearing get described and no one bothers to question it. 
Here's an example. You may or may not connect to this, but I'll, I'll put it out there. And someday maybe you, if you're going to ascribe to be queen rearing, you'll have the same question I do. Why do you move developing queens from a cell builder, which is doing a perfectly adequate job because it's queenless, to strive to build a queen to a cell finisher? One that has a queen at that. I kind of know the answer to that, but there's got to be more to it. And it's such a simple thing, a logical question to ask, you would think somebody would answer it. For the uninclined, a cell builder is a colony that is rendered queenless and has no materials, meaning larvae, to create a new queen. They're hopelessly queenless. When you supply it with larvae that you've grafted in some manner, it is giddy to build a new queen with it because they need one. Typically when you put a cell builder in, you provision it with a mass of bees that are well fed. They are supplied with nectar and pollen so that they can build you the best queen. And they're young, vigorous nurse bees. They got everything you need to do the job. So with that description, What's not to love about the queen making process that you need to pull them out of that environment and put them in a cell finisher? Why? Why would you have to do that? And you're taking a capped cell that you just labored over and you're putting it in with a queen. So there's biology that I don't want to go into, but I was looking for Larry to answer that question for me. Larry says, on page 46, two-thirds of the way down, quote, because confined starters do a poor job of finished queen cells, move the started cells into a cell finisher the day after you graft, end quote. Why? Why, Larry, why? He mentioned the same phrase, either exactly or similar, in a similar manner several times but the book didn't truly say why why you do this practice and honestly that's what I purchased the book for and I thought for sure given the recommendations of how good this book was it had to be in there maybe I missed it maybe I read the book in such haste that I missed it I'll have to go back and sometimes I reread things again to be fair, there was one passage that hinted at why you do it, but knowing what I know wasn't satisfying to me. I'm looking for a specific reason, and I don't think this was it. It said, quote, Unfortunately, confined nurse bees are not able to sustain the intensity of feeding, and a number of well-fed queen cells declines dramatically after the first graft, end quote. These cells must be transferred to a finisher cell as described in chapter 5. Hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if I'm a queen rearer, or I'm doing queen rearing, this is what I want to do. I'm pretending that I am some sort of queen rearing person. I'm not a backyard beekeeper who just wants to have some queens, and I decided to use a device or graphs of queens. And I want to use the cell starter, cell finisher thing to run from May to June and maybe even to July uh, a swath of grafts going through. 
then maybe I'm going to follow that sentiment. Maybe that's what Larry's talking about. That's the best I can come up with. That's what he means. You're going to want to keep transferring them out. And he does go into other parts of the book and say, you probably need to swap cell starters out with other colonies and replenish them. I'm left to speculate and use my subject matter expertise and surmise what Larry is really presenting. And I think it has to do with raising waves of queens, which is why he gave that guidance. If you want to graft, build queen cells, finish, and repeat the process, do not count on a cell builder to be able to do it all. And later, like I said, if memory serves me correctly, I think he suggests multiple cell builders, or maybe have that mixed up with Grant's NICO book. I just read them back to back and they both had similar guidance. Either way, I may have to go back and reread it or look for my answers software. And I have the patience to file this away and keep looking for clues because I have learned to learn that sometimes you don't find the answer where you think you're going to look for it. And eventually I'm going to be confident to learn this and then I'll be able to relay to you and feel sure that I have it right. But until then, I'm going to present the information as I understand it, which is I don't understand it. How's that? Ooh. Coming back to center. The question is, why is this a cell builder? Cell finisher thing important for the NICO process of queen rearing? That's ultimately what I'm trying to figure out. The short answer has to do with any queen rearing, whether it's using the NICO device or grafting, is that success is dependent upon a specific set of steps done to a rigorous timeline. You have to know the intricacies of what you're doing, when and why. And smack dab in the middle of the heart, the core of what you're doing for raising queens, no matter how you're doing it, is the cell builder, cell finisher thing. And I need to understand why. Otherwise, I will never be happy in this world. So I'm kind of back at center as to where my research is because the crux of success the heart of the process is this piece. Now, there's a tried and true process recipe, and you could follow it blindly, but I like to understand why I'm doing things. One thing I read over and over again with queen rearing, and I can make an impression on you now if I have not delved into the practice, is that timing is everything. If it's raining, for example, when you're supposed to open the hive and move the cap queen cells out to some place prior to the queens coming out, guess what? You need to get an umbrella and a raincoat. Some people set up tents over their hives and work in the rain. The consequence of screwing that transfer up is one of your fledgling little queens will emerge, kill all the other queen cells that you labored over to build. Now, anyone who's gone through the machinations of raising their own queens would, of course, want to avoid that. I have read and reread, watched and rewatched books and videos on the NICO system, and by no surprise, there just is no one central tried and true method to do it. They all vary. Case in point, 
It seems everyone agrees that you should take the Nyko cassette, which is the box the queen's going to lay in, and you're going to pull these little plastic cups out and use for graphs, and put it in a beehive for conditioning prior to inserting the queen in the cartridge. When you place it in the hive, it allows the worker bees to clean it out, if there's any debris in it, any dust, polish it, prep the cells for queen laying, like they would for any cell that the queen's going to lay in. It's said during the process that the cassette can take on the scent of the hive and it physically comes closer because it's inside to the internal temperature of the nest where it's hanging on a frame. If you have it in your kitchen and it's 65 and comfortable and you put it in the middle of a brood nest which is 90 something it's not going to be the same so you got to let it come up to temp. The NICO instructions say from the website, put it, this is a quote, put it in several months in the middle of the brood without queen excluder, end quote. It goes on further to suggest that you should, quote, if you do not use it, keep it in the brood. The smell of the queen will make more easily the next egg laying, end quote. Hmm, okay. That's not even proper English. I guess the French did not get a good translator there. They're suggesting that you leave it in there all the time. That's what I think that means. I, I have this thought, I don't go down a different path, but if you took a Nyko device and just left it in there, could it become regular brood? Would they run cycles of brood through it? Would they leave cocoons in it? I don't think they would. Might be interesting just to see what happens. Hmm. A video from YouTube, one of the better ones that I've seen, says, place the cassette in the hive for conditioning six days. The Nyko book that I just read tells you two days prior to putting the queen in the device. This illustrates that I have a decision to make on which one to follow. I have to think about it in the context of biology, management practice, and timing of all the things that are going on in that process, cell builder, cell finisher, core, and decide. Practically, I think a two-day window would be the minimum, because I think it would take two days for them to get it acclimated, polished, up to temperature. The suggestion for more time, in my mind, would do no harm. What's the harm in that? I think it would only stand to make things better. So in coming to the conclusion, I weighed what could be the downfall of doing it earlier. Would bees do something detrimental to it? I can't think of anything. So longer is better. These are the type of decisions you have to make while you're evaluating a process. I think it is that the better answer is the time the cassette takes to be primed whatever's going on meaning in your recipe of how you're going to implement this device this occurs in the pre-stage um i know talking about nyco and 90 percent of the people have never seen one don't know what it is but this queen rearing system that uses a plastic box for the queen to lay in 
has two stages in its typical de deployment. The pre-stage, that's my term. I think it's better than negative days description that you see in a lot of websites. And then the post stage or the queen rearing stage. So let me spend a moment discussing that. I already told you that the best way to deal with this device is to put it in the hive so it comes up to temperature and the bees clean it. But when you're rearing queens, it's important to understand that you put the queen in the device and when she lays eggs, the counter starts for how long it takes for the egg to convert to a larva that you can take for a graft and then the duration of 15 to 16 days to make a queen. So you have a day zero, which is the day you put the queen in the device. But in its implementation, you have days prior to that where you have to prep things. So I want to call that the prep window days. I think the prep window days are about six days long. Six days prior to putting the queen in the device, you have preparation steps. That's the way I would describe it. I've seen people describe it as negative days. Negative day six prior to day zero. I don't like that. That's confusing. All this uncertainty and experimentation actually leads me to the premise of this topic. It's about daring to suck. The phrase is attributed to the band Aerosmith and the lead singer Steven Tyler. I've heard that the band had a practice during rehearsals to feel free to bring anything that they didn't know if the other guys were going to like and run it into a session and see if something comes out of it. They saw some sort of spark. They called these the dare to suck sessions. Uh, Kevin moment. I have to say this to you. Do not type Steven Tyler dare to suck in a search engine. <laughs> you are not going to get what you think you're going to get in a search result. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Don't type dare to suck. Bad things are going to happen. End of Kevin moment. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. It's said that some of their hits came from snippets of experimentation that they brought into these open sessions. Dude looks like a lady was a joke, but they made a song out of it. The dare to suck aspect in this whole Nico queen rearing rabbit hole I'm in is twofold. The first one is there may be better ways for rearing queens, namely grafting by hand with the Doolittle method. But I personally cannot help. I can't help it. It's in my nature to be intrigued by the lore of the Nico device and its ingenuity. And I simply want to give it a try. But I hear how challenging it is. And I want to know if I can conquer it. So I'm willing to dare to suck to see if I can figure this thing out. Secondly, I have this grandiose notion of seeing if I can make it approachable for everyone. If I could figure it out and tell people on this show how to do it or write a book about it, maybe I'll do that someday. I think that grafting, and yes, I've done it, is not a beekeeper beginning skill. It's not a beekeeper beginning skill. Grafting, have you ever tried it? Even with some experience, like some that I know, <coughs> me, 
I don't find it enjoyable yet. I'm not good at it. I'm the kind of guy that wants to try something, and I actually want it to work if I'm going to invest the time. If you're doing queen grafting, you got to pick your hop, you got to pull the frame out, you got to graft the frame, you got to do it with, you got to do all these things. You're putting them in the cups, you're sticking them in a cell builder, you put 12 of them in there, 24 in there. You know how many you want? You want 12 or 24. You don't want four, five. That's a failure. That's a, I'm, I'm not meeting, <laughs> right? I suppose if in this spring I put in 24 cups doing grafting and 24 take, I might see things differently and not want to do this Nico thing. But yet, being who I am, quirk in my personality, I haven't warmed up to grafting and I think I still want to figure out this Nico method. The one thing I say about Nico as compared to do little grafting by hand, it's another way to do it. I think it's a good idea for beekeepers to know it. So, yeah. How long have I been rolling on this thing? Where am I in this process? For the past two months, here and there, every little bit of time that I have. Hey, Sharon. I talked about that earlier. I'm going downstairs. She hears me talk about, you know what? I read the book at night, and I'm talking to her while she's... <laughs> I've been in deliberations about how to do this. I've been taking notes. I wrote a reference article for myself. I went back, this is going to be funny to you, and researched. When did this thing get invited? invented? Who invented it? What about the Genter system? Which came first? How were they patented? I actually went back and looked. I told you I was in a hole. Perhaps I'll do really well out of the gate with the Nyko system that I just bought, and perhaps I'll fail miserably. But I'm willing to suck for the purpose of learning. Now don't get me wrong, after putting time in to evaluate how to do this, I want to be good right out of the gate. If I don't, I would consider it less than desirable, maybe a failure. And what they say is, proper preparation makes perfect planning or something like that. But I guess I'm willing, and this is important, to allow myself to suck. I have high expectations, but I'm allowed to suck. Isn't that a funny way to live? That makes life a lot easier. It's pretty less stressful. I decide to give it a moniker, this outline that I'm creating. I'm currently calling it the reference article for the reinsertion method which is also known as graphless queen rearing. It kind of rolls off the tongue, don't you think? It's a guide that introduces the NICO system. It's complemented with a step-by-step -step process that one could follow to a conclusion. And what I know is, given we're in late April, early May, I feel like this is a little bit too much just in time to figure out and release this thing this year. So my goal is this is the learning year I'm going to practice and if it works out good I'll have something and if not I may have to do it again next year. But we're about to enter into and I literally spoke to Bob Kloss this morning about our queen rearing May 15th this year. I might end up doing this four or five years, ten years before I can consider it a success and decide to actually write a book if that's what I'm going to end up doing.
But what I'm saying here is I'm allowing the window to suck. I'm resigned that it may take me a few years to hone this skill, gather the real world experience that would give me confidence to share my process with you and speak intelligently on how it works. Presupposing that it will and that I actually do find success. And what will happen, more importantly, is I'm going to know why. I'm going to know why I did what I did, and I'll have rationale to it, and I'll be able to tell you. So the good news is if you're going to get something from me, you could be assured that I put the energy in to do it. I'm going to report my progress on my trials and tribulations this year, since I've told you all about this here. And I will say that I am a novice. I'm in that queen-rearing learning phase. I think Bob and I have two years under our belt on this. We have not set the world on fire, but we have the spirit of allowing ourselves to suck while we learn how to do it. We talk frequently about things we should do and change, and, and we both have the energy to put into it. I was a bit tepid on this queen-rearing stuff in the beginning, but the more I do it, the more zen I get with it. I couldn't focus on that while I was doing Master Beekeeper, but right now I'm, I'm having a good time investing the time on this. Last thought on this. Oh, please, put it away. My little operation, I want to practice what I preach, and I feel like there's one thing missing in this world of advice givers. Every year we talk about making splits, harvesting queen cells, from ones that the bees build for swarms and things like that. But there are certain times in my belief that those cells aren't as good as ones that you can build as a queen rearing operation. That might be blasphemy, but let me go back to what I said before. If you're building a cell builder and you're supplying it with the best food, it's loaded with pollen, it's loaded with nectar, and it's loaded with young nurse bees that are queenless and dying to build you. If they've been fed well, they're not diseased, they're going to build you a good queen. It's almost that they've got the nutrition and all the things they need. It's the perfect scenario. On the other side, not that I don't trust nature, but if you're one of those like me, like I've done all, all my queen rearing I let the bees build my queens. I go in during swarm season and there's one, cut it out, there's one, cut it out, but I don't know how good those queens are. Sometimes my colonies are just hanging on, but they make themselves a queen cell and I see it as a queen cell and an opportunity. That's 25 bucks right there. I think if we did this, if we could make the NICO device approachable, that everybody would give it a shot and be able to create the good conditions, you get better quality queens. I believe that. Now, I don't mean to talk about queenless colonies and they encourage them to build you a queen saying that's bad or harvesting swarm cells or whatever it is. They're adequate. But we keep preaching that we want local queens. Tell me who amongst us is besides the method of doing what I just said, which may or may not be good, depending on how it comes about, is ready to jump in to do queen rearing. But maybe with the NICA device, it could be approachable. And it's not, forgive me, Larry Connor, 
I'm going to raise wave after wave of queens to sell to all my neighbors and people in my club. That's not what I'm talking about. We want you to be able to go out into your two, three hives out in the backyard and raise queens from a colony that's deemed to be productive if that's what you want to do. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Nyko has the opportunity to do if somebody could give really good instructions. And I'm on, I'm on the hunt. I have heard hmm, Nyko is finicky and you have to be persnickety perseverance. But what if we can work out the kinks and remove the friction from beginners? Maybe it's my fool's errand, but I'm up to the challenge and willing to give it a try. And I hope, after hearing this little dare to suck thing, that you'll give me the time and uh, appreciate the effort, and then I can come back and help you with that. The good news is, I'll be raising my own queens along the way, and learning, and I benefit from it, which gives me a vested interest, which is how I started this, I think. So... Pay attention, I'll be sharing the journey each spring as we do our queen rearing rounds and I'll be honest about how it's going. And someday, be God's willing, I'll be releasing some sort of reference guide for you to follow. Thanks for hearing me out on that one. I think this is a good place to end the show. I wanted to share... Um, an insight something new coming to the program I'm gonna start another type of show I'll have the regular show with the topics and the roundtables I'll have the check-in episodes which this was a check-in with added bonus of reflection and I'm gonna start a new one called the beekeeper series this is where I'm gonna go start finding beekeepers with stories Maybe it's about their beekeeping. Maybe it's about some specialty they have. Maybe it's something else. And I'll do a one-on-one -on -one interview. My goal is to fill in some of the gaps with some of these. And I have a good number of folks lined up that I've talked to already that in the coming weeks and months, I will start to do recordings with them and intersperse between whatever is going on for the episodes I will drop in a beekeeper series without saying it out loud I have a person in mind for the first one and we'll see if we can get that to come to fruition and then from there I have a bunch of them lined up and I think I'm uh, pretty happy with this idea as I've been thinking through it for the past year and a half and now I'm going to finally put it together. So something to look forward to as the show evolves into the next decade, if that's what uh, is willing to happen here. So um, if you're new to the show, well, welcome. <laughs> hope you hope you were okay with this. And if you've been around a while, I will leave with what I always say. Thanks, thanks for hanging out and. Uh, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed producing the show, and especially those of you who have supported me through the years. As I said earlier, I just can't uh, thank you enough for being around. 
Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everyone, and be well.